Countess Laura by George Henry Boker From The World's Best Poetry, Volume 9, Tragedy and Humour, Part 1 Read for LibriVox.org by Leanne Yao as the narrator Jason in Canada as the bishop Thone as the courtiers Craig Franklin as Count Fernando Thomas Peter as Carlo And Sonia as Death Countess Laura it was a dreary day in padua the countess laura for a single year fernando's wife upon her bridal bed like an uprooted lily on the snow the withered outcast of a festival lay dead she died of some uncertain ill that struck her almost on her wedding day and clung to her and dragged her slowly down thinning her cheeks and pinching her full lips till in her chance it seemed that with a year full half a century was overpassed in vain had paracelsus taxed his art and feigned a knowledge of her malady in vain had all the doctors far and near gathered around the mystery of her bed draining her veins her husband's treasury and physic's jargon in a fruitless quest for causes equal to the dread result the countess only smiled when they were gone hugged her fair body with her little hands and turned upon her pillows warily as though she fain would sleep no common sleep but the long breathless slumber of the grave she hinted nothing feeble as she was the rack could not have wrung her secret out the bishop when he shrived her coming forth cried in a voice of heavenly ecstasy o blessed soul with nothing to confess save virtues and good deeds which she mistakes so humble is she for our human sins Praying for death, she tossed upon her bed, day after day, as might a shipwrecked bark that rocks upon one billow, and can make no onward motion towards her port of hope. At length, one morn, when those around her said, Surely the countess mends, so fresh a light beams from her eyes and beautifies her face. One morn in spring, when every flower of earth was opening to the sun, and breathing up its votive incense, her impatient soul opened itself and so exhaled to heaven when the count heard it he reeled back a pace then turned with anger on the messenger then craved his pardon and wept out his heart before the menial tears ah me such tears as love sheds only and love only once then he bethought him shall this wonder die and leave behind no shadow not a trace of all the glory that environed her that mellow nimbus circling round my star so with a sorrow gleaming in his face he paced along his gallery of art and strode among the painters where they stood with carlo the venetian at their head studying the masters by the dawning light of his transcendent genius through the groups of gaily vestured artists moved the count as some lone cloud of thick and leaden hue packed with the secret of a coming storm moves through the gold and crimson evening mists deadening their splendour in a moment still was carlo's voice and still the prattling crowd and a great shadow overwhelmed them all as their white faces and their anxious eyes pursued fernando in his moody walk he paused as one who balances a doubt weighing two courses then burst out with this yet all have seen the tidings in my face or has the dial ceased to register the workings of my heart 
then hear the bell that almost cracks its frame in utterance the countess she is dead dead collar groaned and if a bolt from middle heaven had struck his splendid features full upon the brow he could not have appeared more scathed and blanched dead dead he staggered to his easel frame and clung around it buffeting the air with one wild arm as though a drowning man hung to a spar and fought against the waves the count resumed i came not here to grieve nor see my sorrow in another's eyes who'll paint the countess as she lies to-night in state within the chapel shall it be that earth must lose her holy that no hint of her gold tresses beaming eyes and lips that talked in silence and the eager soul that ever seemed outbreaking through her clay and scattering glory round it shall all these be dull corruption's heritage and we poor beggars have no legacy to show that love she bore us that was shame to love and shame to you my masters carlos stalked forth from his easel stiffly as a thing moved by mechanic impulse his thin lips and sharpened nostrils and wan sunken cheeks and the cold glimmer in his dusky eyes made him a ghastly sight the throng drew back as though they let a spectre through then he fronting the count and speaking in a voice sounding remote and hollow made reply count i shall paint the countess tis my fate not pleasure no nor duty but the count astray in woe but understood assent not the strange words that bore it and he flung his arm around carlo drew him into his breast and kissed his forehead at which carlo shrank perhaps twas at the honour then the count a little reddening at his public state unseemly to his near and recent loss withdrew in haste between the downcast eyes that did him reverence as he rustled by night fell on padua in the chapel lay the countess laura at the altar's foot her coronet glittered on her pallid brows a crimson pall weighed down with golden work sewn thick with pearls and heaped with early flowers draped her still body almost to the chin and over all a thousand candles flamed against the winking jewels or streamed down the marble aisle and flashed along the guard of men-at-arms that slowly wove their turns backward and forward through the distant gloom when carlo entered his unsteady feet scarce bore him to the altar and his head drooped down so low that all his shining curls poured on his breast and veiled his countenance upon his easel a half-finished work the secret labour of a studio said from the canvas so that none might err i am the countess laura carlo kneeled and gazed upon the picture as if thus through those clear eyes he saw the way to heaven then he arose and as a swimmer comes forth from the waves he shook his locks aside emerging from his dream and standing firm upon a purpose with a sovereign will he took his palette murmuring not yet confidingly and softly to the corpse and as the various drudge who plies his art against his fancy he addressed himself with stolid resolution to his task turning his vision on his memory and shutting out the present till the dead the gilded pall the lights the pacing guard and all the meaning of that solemn scene became as nothing and creative art resolved the whole to chaos 
and reformed the elements according to her law. So Carlo wrought, as though his eye and hand were heaven's unconscious instruments, and worked the settled purpose of omnipotence. And it was wondrous how the red, the white, the ochre, and the umber, and the blue, from mottled blotches, hazy and opaque, grew into rounded forms and sensuous lines, how just beneath the lucid skin the blood glimmered with warmth, the scarlet lips apart bloomed with the moisture of the dews of life, how the light glittered through, and underneath the golden tresses, and the deep soft eyes became intelligent with conscious thought, and somewhat troubled underneath the arch of eyebrows, but a little too intense for perfect beauty, how the pose and poise of the lithe figure on its tiny foot suggested life just ceased from motion, so that any one might cry in marvelling joy, That creature lives, has senses, mind, a soul, to win God's love or dare hell's subtleties. The artist paused. The ratifying, Good, trembled upon his lips. He saw no touch to give or soften. It is done, he cried. My task, my duty. Nothing now on earth can taunt me with a work left unfulfilled. The lofty flame, which bore him up so long, died in the ashes of humanity, and the mere man rocked to and fro again upon the centre of his wavering heart. He put aside his palette, as if thus he stepped from sacred vestments and assumed a mortal function in the common world. Now for my rights, he muttered, and approached the noble body. O oh, Lily of the world, so withered, yet so lovely, what wast thou to those who came thus near thee? For I stood without the pale of thy half-royal rank, and thou wast budding, and the streams of life made eager struggles to maintain thy bloom, and gladdened heaven dropped down in gracious dews on its transplanted darling. Hear me now. I say this but in justice, not in pride, not to insult thy high nobility, but that the poise of things in God's own sight may be adjusted, and hereafter I may urge a claim that all the powers of heaven shall sanction, and with clarions blow abroad. Laura, you loved me. Look not so severe with your cold brows and deadly close-drawn lips. You proved it, Countess, when you died for it. Let it consume you in the wearing strife it fought with duty in your ravaged heart. I knew it ever since that summer day I painted Lila, the pale beggar's child, at rest beside the fountain. When I felt, oh, heaven, the warmth and moisture of your breath blow through my hair, as with your eager soul, forgetting soul and body go as one, you leaned across my easel till our cheeks, ah, oh, me, t'was not your purpose, touched and clung. Well, Grant was genius, and his genius not. I ween it wears as proud a diadem here in this very world as that you wear. A king has held my palette, a grand duke has picked my brush up, 
the pope has begged the favour of my presence in his room i did not go i put my fortune by i need not ask you why you knew too well it was but natural it was no way strange that i should love you everything that saw or had its other senses loved you sweet and i among them martyr holy saint i see the halo curving round your head i loved you once but now i worship you for the great deed that held my love aloof and killed you in the action i absolve your soul from any taint for from the day of that encounter by the fountain side until this moment never turned on me those tender eyes unless they did a wrong to nature by the cold defiant glare with which they chilled me never heard i a word of softness spoken by those gentle lips never received a bounty from that hand which gave to all the world i know the cause you did your duty not for honour's sake nor to save sin or suffering or remorse or all the ghosts that haunt a woman's shame but for the sake of that pure loyal love your husband bore you queen by grace of god i bow before the lustre of your throne i kiss the aegis of your garment hem and hold myself ennobled answer me if i had wronged you you would answer me out of the dusty porches of the tomb is this a dream a falsehood or have i spoken the very truth the very truth a voice replied and at his side he saw a form half shadow and half substance stand or rather rest for on the solid earth it had no footing more than some dense mist that waves o'er the surface of the ground it scarcely touches with a reverent look the shadow's waste and wretched face was bent above the picture as though greater awe subdued its awful being and appalled with memories of terrible delight and fearful wonder its devouring gaze you make what god makes beauty said the shape and might not this this second eve console the emptiest heart will not this thing outlast the fairest creature fashioned in the flesh before that figure time and death himself stand baffled and disarmed what would you ask more than god's power from nothing to create the artist gazed upon the boding form and answered goblin if you had a heart that were an idle question what to me is my creative power bereft of love or what to god would be that selfsame power if so bereaved and yet the love thus mourned you calmly forfeited for had you said to living laura in her burning ears one half that you professed to laura dead she would have been your own these contraries sort not with my intelligence but speak were laura living would the same stale play of raging passion tearing out its heart upon the rock of duty be performed 
the same o oh phantom for the heart i bear trembled but turned not its magnetic faith from god's fixed centre if i wake for you this laura give her all the bloom and glow of that midsummer day you hold so dear the smile the motion the impulsive soul the love of genius yea the very love the mortal hungry passionate hot love she bore you flesh to flesh would you receive that gift in all its glory at my hands a smile of malice curled the tempter's lips and glittered in the caverns of his eyes mocking the answer carlo paled and shook a woeful spasm went shuddering through his frame curdling his blood and twisting his fair face with nameless torture but he cried aloud out of the clouds of anguish from the smoke of very martyrdom o oh god she is thine do with her at thy pleasure something grand and radiant as a sunbeam touched the head he bent in awful sorrow mortal see dare not as christ was sinless i abjure these vile abominations shall she bear life's burden twice and life's temptations twice while god is justice who has made you judge of what you call god's good and what you think god's evil one to him the source of both the god of good and of permitted ill have you no dream of days that might have been had you and laura filled another fate some cottage on the sloping apennines roses and lilies and the rest all love i tell you that this tranquil dream may be filled to repletion speak and in the shade of my dark pinions i shall bear you hence and land you where the mountain goat himself struggles for footing he outspread his wings and all the chapel darkened as though hell had swallowed up the tapers and the air grew thick and like a current sensible flowed round the person with a wash and dash as of the waters of another sea slowly and calmly through the dense obscure dove-like and gentle rose the artist's voice i dare not bring her spirit to that shame no my full meaning i who neither fear your mystic person nor your dreadful power nor shall i now invoke god's potent name for my deliverance from your toils i stand upon the founded structure of his law established from the first and thence defy your arts reposing all my trust in that the darkness eddied off and carlo saw the figure gathering as from outer space brightness on brightness and his former shape fell from him like the ashes that fall off and show a core of mellow fire within adown his wings there poured a lambent flood that seemed as molten gold which plashing fell upon the floor and ringing him with flame and o'er the tresses of his beaming head arose a stream of many-coloured light like that which crowned the morning carlo stood steadfast for all the splendour reaching up the outstretched palms of his untainted soul towards heaven for strength a moment thus then asked with a reverential wonder quivering through his sinking voice who spirit and what art thou 
I am that blessing which men fly from, death. Then take my hand, if so God orders it, for Laura awaits me. But bethink thee, man, what the world loses in the loss of thee, what wondrous art will suffer with eclipse, what unwon glories are in store for thee, what fame, outreaching time and temporal shocks, would shine upon the letters of thy name, graven in marble, or the brazen height of columns, wise with memories of thee. Take me. If I outlive the patriarchs, I could but paint those features o'er and o'er. Lo, that is done. A smile of pity lit the seraph's features, as he looked to heaven, with deep inquiry in his tender eyes. The mandate came. He touched the, with downy wing the sufferer lightly on his aching heart, and gently, as the skylark settles down upon the clustered treasures of her nest, so Carlos softly slid along the prop of his tall easel, nestling at the foot as though he slumbered, and the morning broke in silver whiteness over Padua. End of poem. This recording is in the public domain.